Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Did you know the Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor, what's a mistake they made that changed their approach, and how do they find their next great idea? Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. The FT. Interest-only mortgages. Should you be worried if you've got one? The case for and against structured investment products and the exclusive Caribbean property dream that some investors fear is about to turn sour. I'm Jonathan Ely, and I'll be giving you all the money news this week in downloadable form with the help of my FT colleagues, Joe Cumbo. Hello. Elaine Moore. Hello. And Tanya Poli. Hi. Plus our special studio guest, Adrian Neve, Managing Director of Gilead Financial Solutions. Hello. First of all, interest-only mortgages. Along with Oasis, the Spice Girls and Gaza, interest-only mortgages were big in the 1990s when they were often known as endowment mortgages. The idea was simple enough. Each month, you, the borrower, paid only the interest on the loan, leaving the capital element outstanding. That would be paid off at maturity, either by ever-rising house prices or by the stunning performance of whatever investment vehicle you had set up for the purpose. Alas, it didn't quite work out that way for many people, who are now approaching the end of their loan term only to realise that they are well short of the sum needed to repay the capital. Interest-only mortgages are not widely sold today, but there are still many issues with the legacy loan book. Earlier this year, the head of Britain's financial regulator described the interest-only mortgage problem as a ticking time bomb, and this week the Financial Conduct Authority released a 75-page report setting out what's to be done about it. Tanya Poli has had the joyous task of reading that report. Tanya, what's the scale of the problem here? So basically the um, FCA and its predecessor, the FSA, have spent basically a year looking into the interest-only mortgage market. It's been an area that they've um, continuously flagged up over the past few years as being one of the areas that they're concerned about. Because as you referred to, they felt that there was this, there was this um, ticking time bomb of um, people that are about to sort of obviously have to repay their loans and not be able to afford to do so. What they've discovered in their research that they published um, today was that there's actually about 2.6 million interest-only mortgages due to be repaid over the next 30 years, which is quite a large amount of um, sort of mortgages coming up for expiry, really. Within the next seven years alone, there's actually an estimated 600,000 interest-only mortgages that are due to be repaid. How many does the FSA think are in difficulties in the sense that they don't have any or all of the money to cover the repayment of the capital elements of the well, mortgage? It's, it's actually estimating that as many as sort of 48%, so that's nearly half of all those borrowers might be at risk of not being able to pay, repay the full amount. So that's a large proportion, really. I think um, a lot of people were sort of surprised that it was as many as that. And actually, when 
when they looked into the research and sort of did their sort of calculations, they think a lot of um, the borrowers are actually underestimating how much they might be they might fall short as well. So I think it was around twenty thousand um, pounds that most borrowers uh, seem to sort of say to the SEA that they believe that they would be short at the end of their term. But actually, the um, regulator believes that this it would be much larger, probably around seventy one thousand pounds, which which is quite a large sum. Okay, and how did borrowers get themselves into that situation? Was it a question of them just not making provision? Um, have they been uh, put into rotten products, or have investment markets just not performed in the in the way that they expected? I think there's sort of several um, issues, really. I mean, obviously, you refer to sort of endowment mortgages that were sold during the 1990s and early 2000s. I mean, at least with with that, there was a repayment vehicle in place that there was, was actually meant to pay out um, the summer. Well, at the time, it was obviously predicted to pay out that the amount needed for the ha- home, and for, I think actually there was probably the hope that they would pay out even more than that with that obviously that's probably partly to do with the investment markets and actually the way that the investment product was managed so those people i mean you do feel for them because obviously they did have a repayment plan in place the other half you get this period where during the sort of housing boom in the 2000s um period um obviously a lot of people were kind of hoping that the rising house prices would actually cover sort of capital at the end of their milkage term obviously what we've seen is you know that probably played quite well for a lot of the people who bought early on in the um, boom but hasn't probably played out so well for those who bought probably after 2005 2007 onwards obviously we've seen a lot of um, areas where house prices have fallen quite dramatically and a lot of people are actually in negative equity so that's another another issue really Okay. And is there any hint of mis-selling here? Is, is there malpractice? Are we talking about uh, interest-only mortgages being the next PPI scandal or anything like that? The FCA were actually quite firm about this um, when we spoke to them. They don't believe it's the next big mis-selling scandal. They said it's not the next PPI. As Martin Wheatley, which is the, he's the chief executive of the regulator, he actually said, you know, it's not a complex product. It is what it says on the tin. And actually, when they did their research, they found that about sort of, you know, 81% of all borrowers said they understood terms of loan when it was sold to them. Um, it's only a small proportion of about um, one in 10 homeowners that said that they did not. And then there's an even smaller proportion of borrowers, um, around 65,000 people that say, one, that they did not know that they had to repay the capital at the end of the, lo- at the, end of the loan at the, t- at the point of when they actually bought the product and do not have a repayment strategy in place. So it's, uh, it's a kind of a small minority, but obviously that's a concern that there are those people out there who, who didn't actually understand. Okay. And just quickly, uh, interest-only mortgages are not widely uh, marketed uh, these days. Repayment mortgages are much more common. Do they still have their uses, though? They do. I mean, they they are, like you referred to, the fact that they are quite a niche product now. There's not a lot of lenders selling them. But they do work out, they they do have a place in the market. Um, you know, there's people who are sort of self-employed or rely or have kind of a regular income patterns. So sometimes, you know, with bankers, they might get bigger bonuses and lawyers are sort of similar, um, where it actually can work out quite nicely for them because they get their bonus in, they can pay off a chunk of the mortgage at a time. That for that for those people, it actually works out well. And there's still mortgage options, interest-only mortgage options out there available to them. It's just the fact that it's much harder to actually meet the criteria to get such a mortgage now. Okay, thank you, Tanya. If you have an interest-only mortgage and you're concerned about being able to repay the capital, you'll find more practical tips and advice in this weekend's FT Money. FT Money is available as part of your regular weekend FT newspaper, or you can read online at www.ft.com forward slash money. If you want to leave comments, you can do so online or email us your comments. The address is money at ft.com. Still to come on the show, the dream that threatens to turn into a nightmare for many pension investors. But first, let's take a look at structured products. 
These are the things that your bank might occasionally try to sell you when you next pop in to deposit a cheque. On the face of it, they can be very appealing. A typical offering promises any upside from the stock market if shares rise, but a money-back guarantee if it doesn't. Financial advisors often sell more complex variations on the same theme. But how do they actually work? What does a bank have to do, and what risks must it run in order to make these best-of-both-worlds promises to you, the investor? And do structured products give better returns or protection than more conventional investment products such as funds? Elaine Moore has been looking at the case for and against structured products. Elaine, I guess the first thing to say about these is that they seem to polarise opinion like almost no other investment product. They really do. The people that I've been speaking to this week, the advocates for structured products, are passionate about them. I've come across very few financial products where the people involved in the industry are as enthusiastic and as keen for you to be enthusiastic about the product as this one. On the other hand, uh, the critics of this product are extremely colourful in their condemnation of it. So there were reports that quite recently Martin Wheatley, who Tanya was mentioning earlier, the head of the new financial regulator, was calling them spread bets on steroids. There was a, a magazine article that I read that said they were a stinker of a product. So there's, there's, huge, there's a huge difference in how people regard the product and the reason behind that is the perception of the complexity of them. So Adrian Neve has been helping me this week to to look under the bonnet of the product. Adrian, do you do you think complexity is is a is is the right charge for these products? I think structured products as with any other financial product uh, there's a massive range and yes, we can make them as complex as you like and th- and those type of products will be used for by institutions for hedging in absolute return funds that kind of thing. Or you get very basic things where effectively you have got a deposit account where the interest, rather than being a fixed amount per annum, will be related to the movement in, say, the FTSE 100 index. That's very simple, easy to understand. The complexity lies on the other side of the equation. When you're buying a structured product, you buy something from a bank and they make a promise to you that, given a certain set of events, they will give you a certain amount of return. This is an asset on their balance sheet. They're going to have to repay you at some point, and they need to have some way of making sure they're able to repay you. That's really where the complexity comes in. So a client buying a structured product is not exposing themselves to owning a portfolio of options or swaps or zero-coupon bonds. Instead, as a rule, they will be buying either, as I say, a deposit or what is commonly known as senior unsecured debt, which is basically a corporate bond. And I think most people are familiar with them because the amount of money that's been invested by retail investors in the corporate bond market. So if we go we go backwards a little bit. You mentioned there that, that there was structured deposits and there were structured products. Can we just go through the, the main types of a structured product that a retail investor might hear of? Probably the most common because they have been sold direct through many bank branches are structured deposits and these are as they say they are conventional deposits so they do qualify for coverage under the financial services compensation scheme up to £85,000 depending on what other assets you have with the bank. Those one could argue are I suppose the safest end of the market in terms of your principal because of the presence of the FSCS. You then have what we might call structured investments and they split into two groups. You have those that are often referred to as capital protected which look like a deposit in that you put in 100, you get 100 at the end. The difference being is that you're taking on the risk that the person you've given the money to will be around to pay you back. The 
fundamental difference between capital protected structured investments and structured deposits is a structured deposit the returns will be liable to income tax on a structured investment it may be income tax but it might also be capital gains tax and in today's environment to some investors that can be a considerable advantage the the third leg would be what are commonly referred to as capital at risk products these are products where there is some semblance of protection provided say the FTSE 100 does not fall by a given amount. Typically, that will be 50%. During the term of the product, every day, the bank looks at the level of the FTSE 100 index. If it hasn't fallen by more than 50%, then you will get your pound back. If at some point it does fall by more than 50%, and at the end of the term it's down, say still 50%, you'll only get half your money back. Those are obviously the higher risk end of the product, and you might say they're more akin to a mutual fund investment or an ETF in terms of how you might lose money. So I've been looking at lots of these products and the terminology around them, I do think is a bit complicated. I've been writing about them for a while. I know that people in the industry think that they are very clear, but I think that if you're a retail investor, the the idea that a product will pay you out a certain amount if the underlying asset, say the FTSE 100, rises to a certain amount, or you'll lose money if it falls below a certain barrier, is quite complex. How am I, as a retail investor, supposed to know what the odds are of the FTSE 100 falling below 50% in five years' time? So, I think you'll find now that most providers, and certainly providers in, into the independent financial advisor market, will provide some form of simulation or backtesting on the products, which comes out as a kind of probability of loss. If, if you look at the FTSE, which started in, what, February 1984, um, in, in that time, it's never actually fallen by more than 50%, top to bottom. In, in, that, in that respect, it's no different to a mutual fund in that when you buy a mutual fund, you're actually buying it because you're expecting the shares to go up. You, you don't go and invest in the hope they're going to fall. It's the same thing. You have to look in a structured product in, in the same way, that if you're buying something that's re- linked to the FTSE, you're buying it because you're hoping the FTSE will grow. The difference with the structured product and a normal fund is that if the market falls away, you will have some level of protection. I would say to most people that you can, you should be able to sit down and draw what's going to happen to your money as a line so that you know if the market's going up, my line's going up. If it falls not to the barrier, not as far as the barrier, it's staying at 100 and then it starts going down. If you can't draw that, you probably need to think twice about whether you understand the product. And as with any other financial product, if you don't understand it, you shouldn't be investing in it. Thank you very much, Elaine and Adrian. That was uh, Adrian Neve there, Managing Director of Gilead Financial Solutions. If you're still unsure about structured products, you can read chapter and verse on the subjects in this weekend's FT Money, where you'll also find a table of one advisor's current favourites and more discussion of the case for and against structured products, featuring some of the colourful views Elaine referred to there. We'd also like to hear your views on the subject. Are structured products a sensible way to manage risk or an expensive and flexible distraction. If you've got strong opinions one way or the other, do let us know, either via ft.com forward slash money or by emailing us. The address once again, money at ft.com. We finish today by looking at the tale of Harlequin Property. This is a luxury resort developer with a number of projects in the Caribbean which were marketed to UK investors. Many of the 3,000 or so people who invested in Harlequin were looking to put the properties into their self-invested personal pensions some of which do permit commercial property investments. 
However, there has been some uncertainty of late about the financial position of the company in the Caribbean that is actually building the resorts, and some investors who want to get their deposits back before the properties are completed have been told that this is not currently possible. The UK sales agent for the developers went into administration recently. There have also been allegations that some of the advice given by IFAs in relation to transferring assets into pension vehicles has been poor. Joe Cumbo has been sifting through the allegations and complaints this week. Joe, I guess the first thing we should make clear is that it is the sales company, not the developer, that has entered administration. Well, Harlequin is actually building and developing these luxury hotel units in Caribbean and, and other resort locations. But it is the UK sales arm of Harlequin, Harlequin Management Services, also known as Harlequin Property, which last week went into administration. But that it is a separate and distinct company. Okay, now several investor groups have uh, have sprung up uh, on the internet and some solicitors are taking an interest in the matter too. What are the main allegations that they're making about Harlequin? Sales of um, these hotel developments began in about 2006 and really started to pick up in 2008. I've spoken to uh, investors this week who are still waiting for investments that they on deposits on hotels that they made in 2009 to complete. So the, the, the point is they're trying to make is that the contractual agreement to have the properties built has not has been broken. They've waited too long and that's why they want their money back. Okay, and what about the regulators? Are, are they taking an interest in the in the matter yet? What, what's uh, happening now with the company is that it is undergoing um, an investigation by the um, serious fraud office uh, in regards to a number of complaints about its activities, the group's activities, um, which I must say that the company says are unfounded, those complaints, and it is, it is acting um, with the police to, on, on those investigations. In regards to the Financial Conduct Authority and um, other allegations about um, poor advice, um, regards the sale of these investments. Now, I must point out that Harlequin wasn't involved in the direct sale of these investments. It was IFAs who worked on commission for them. There have been a number of complaints being made against IFAs, which I believe have begun to trickle up to the financial ombudsman service as well. Okay. Several leisure-related property investment schemes have collapsed in the past. Uh, Most notably, of course, there was Guest Invest, the hotel room investment service that, that failed in October 2008. In general, how wise is it for savers to be putting these kind of investments into um, pension wrappers, often involving quite significant sums of money? That's right. Well, collective investment schemes are marketed in the UK to pension investors and then there are unregulated collective investment schemes which are not subject to the same rules they would have to follow if they were classified as regulated. These are seen as more riskier types of investment because the rules governing them, um, for instance, on investment and borrowing powers, disclosure of fees, they aren't the same so that there aren't those safeguards and many of these investors were encouraged, pension investors were encouraged to buy um, the, the property investments through Harlequin through a USIS. And what this has meant is that they um, have less safeguards for them to go back to the financial ombudsman service, for example, or the financial services compensation scheme when things do eventually go wrong or they can prove that they've gone wrong. Thanks, Joe. There's more about the issues with Harlequin in this weekend's FT Money, which you can also read online at ft.com forward slash money. Other highlights in this week's edition. If you're cross about fat cat pay at companies where you hold shares, then read our guide to being an engaged investor. 
We look at the tax reliefs and allowances from the last tax year that you can carry forward to this year. Marion Somerset Webb looks at investing in Russia, and Philip Ehrman, managing manager of the Jupiter China Fund, assesses the prospects for China after some relatively disappointing economic data this week. Don't forget you can read us online at any time, ft.com forward slash money, and you can also follow us on Twitter. The handle is just ftmoney. But until next week, it's goodbye from me, and it's goodbye from Tanya, Joe, Elaine, and our special guest Adrian Neve from Gilead Financial Solutions. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's Corient.com.